0: We're in John 15. We're continuing in our our series on John back uh, on track, and and we'll be in chapter 15 uh, both this week and next week. But our passage this morning, if you remember, we find Jesus who is comforting uh, disciples who are worried, uh, disciples who are fearful. Uh, Two weeks ago, Jason preached from John 14, that chapter that begins Do not let your hearts be troubled. Uh, And chapter 15 is a continuation of Jesus comforting troubled disciples, Uh, because this is the night before he's going to die. And the closeness, uh, that friendship that they had had with Jesus for years, that traveling band of disciples was about to be changed forever. The disciples, they left everything uh, to follow Jesus and it was all about to fall apart, it seemed. In chapter 14, you'll remember that Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, uh, but that I'm, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to take you to be uh, with me where I am. And though he is leaving, he promises that he's, he's coming back for them. And at the end of chapter 14, they get up from the upper room, and they're making their way down to the Garden of Gethsemane, and that's the context of our passage. But what Jesus tells them in John 15, is that though he is going away, though he will be absent from them, they will not be disconnected from him. That though he will not be with them physically, he promises them that the connection that they have with him will be even greater than it is now. And so as they are walking from the upper room, Jesus describes this connection that they will have with him by using the metaphor of Vine and branches. Perhaps that's where you find yourself this morning. Uh, you are worried and troubled, like these disciples. Uh, you wonder, God, what have you been up to lately? Um, I don't feel the connection that I once felt with you before. Or you might want you might be wondering, God, am I ever going to be able to change? Uh, I've been struggling with the same sins year after year after year. It feels stagnant. I feel cold towards you, God. Is there any hope for change? If you find yourself in that place, John 15 is for you. And so uh, we'll have the text up on the screen or it's in your bulletin or find it in the Bible, but let's, let's read John 15 verses 1 to 11 together. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into a fire, and burned. just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's pray together. Lord, as we consider this text, we confess we need your help uh, to understand it. Uh, We need this word to be become life to us by the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our presence. And so we pray for uh, the illumination of ministry of the Holy Spirit in this text. And uh, we pray that your will would be done as it is preached. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thus far in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus has not used this vine and branch Metaphor yet. Uh, But it's not the first time that we see uh, this metaphor of a vine and a branch being used in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was referred to as the vine of God. The nation of Israel was the vine that God took out of Egypt. They were the vine that God transported through the wilderness, and that vine that He planted in the promised land. They were planted that they might bear much fruit in the land of plenty. But that's not how it worked out. Whenever you read of Israel in the Old Testament being referred to as a vine, it's never in a flattering light. Because they were the vine that bore wild grapes. They were the vine that was ravaged uh, by the animals. They were the vine that needed protection and care. They were the vine that needed replanting and re harvesting. They needed to be reestablished. But Jesus declares to his disciples and he declares to us that he is the true vine, that he is the true and better Israel, that where Israel failed in the past, that he is faithful. And he declares to them that the purpose, the plan, and the mission of God in the world lies with him. And not with them anymore. And with the words, I am the true vine, Jesus declares to us that if you want to be among God's people in the world, you have to be connected to Him. And so, if Jesus is who He says He is in verse 1, if He is the true vine, the true Israel, what I want to consider this morning is what does that mean for you and me? I want to point out three things that our text highlights for us. And the first thing is that if Jesus is the true vine, what that means is that we cannot find life apart from connection with him. In some ways, this is really just re-saying what has been said plenty of times in the gospel of John. That if you're going to find real life, if you're going to find real joy and contentment and happiness in life, you have to go to Jesus. You cannot go to Jesus. Anywhere else. Remember in John 6 when he says that he is the bread of life, that all the other bread will not satisfy. If you want bread that endures to eternal life, you have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Remember in John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If you're not in the light, you're in darkness. In John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you want hope beyond the grave, you have to be connected to me. Or in John 10, I am the good shepherd. All of the other shepherds are thieves. But I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for my sheep. Or John 14, I am the way, the truth, the life. If you want to be connected to the life of God, you have to come through me. Or he even says it in this passage Verse 5, if you are not abiding in me, you can do nothing. Over and over in John's gospel, Jesus is telling us if you want to find life, you have to come to him. But just as with the passages that I referenced, Jesus warns us what happens when we try to find life in other things. Look at verse 6. If you try to abide in something else, if you try to find life apart from Jesus, what you will find is that in the end there is no life to be found. There are these lifeless branches that are bound for the fire of destruction. Jesus is not saying that he is one of many vines and that you can find life in any vine that you choose. There is no cafeteria plan when it comes to finding true life. It is found in Jesus or it is not found at all. But Jesus, he works out for us what it means, this vine and branch illustration, this vine and branch metaphor. In the first verse, uh, Jesus assigns the role, so we're not left to wonder, uh, left to guess who does what. Jesus says, I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. He is the gardener. And we learn later that we are the branches. We as those who trust in Jesus, as those who are connected to him as a vine, is connected to a branch. This connection that they describe between a vine and a branch is closer than a friendship. It's closer than even marriage. It is an intermingling of natures. The branch does not have life apart from the vine. The life of the branch is the life of the vine. This is an organic connection so much so that Peter can say in 2nd Peter that we as those who trust in Jesus are partakers are partners in the divine life of God that because of Jesus we in some way share in the divine nature of God himself elsewhere in the bible this relationship of a vine to a branch is uh, described as that we are united to Christ that we are in union with him that we are in him that we are in Christ, connected to him as a vine is to a branch. And because we are united to Jesus, what is true of Jesus is now true of us. What is true of the vine is true of the branches. And to drive this point home, Jesus gives us one of the most incredible verses, in my opinion, in the entire Bible in verse 9. When Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This verse has been kind of swirling around in my mind this week as I've, I've thought how to explain it and how to grasp just what is meant by this. Just think, how much, what kind of love does God the Father have for God the Son? That perfect eternal, that constant faithful love from all eternity past to all eternity future, a love that cannot and will not cease, that is the kind of love that Jesus has for his own. At his baptism, it says that the father looked down on the son and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. My son is. In whom I delight. You know, for a lot of us, we have a hard time believing that we are the delight of anyone. Uh, We're covered up under so much shame and guilt. We have a hard time believing that we're loved by anyone, that we are the delight of anyone. But what is being said in this passage is that when God the Father looks on God the Son and says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased, do you hear him saying that of you? Do you sense that the love that God the Father has for God the Son is the same love that He has for you? If we were to really believe that we were loved by Jesus in this way, what would that change about the way that you lived? How many of your insecurities, how many of my insecurities would be worked out because I really believed Uh, That I was loved by Jesus in that way. What freedom I would have in my life if we really believed that. And because we are loved by Jesus, verse 9 says, Therefore abide in my love. At least ten times in this passage, Jesus uses that word abide uh, to speak of how the branch is to relate to the vine. You could also translate that word abide as to remain or to dwell, or as one person put it, to make your home in Jesus. And when you think about abiding, when you think about remaining, uh, it's really a passive verb. Uh, It's really not a primary action on our part. To remain is to keep doing the thing that's already been done. Uh. Think about a vine and a branch again. What does the branch need to do to remain or to stay a branch? It needs to keep doing the thing that it's already been doing. It needs to abide to remain in the the vine. The job of the branch is to remain in the vine. It's not the job of the branch to attach itself to the vine. It's not the job of the branch to grow Itself. It's not the job of the branch in itself to bear fruit. It is not the job of the branch to perform well enough to prove that it is worthy to be a branch. The branch is to abide in the vine. You know, and this goes against everything that we hear in our culture. The message that we hear is earn it, prove to be a disciple, prove that you belong. Perform, and then you will be accepted. Our worth, our security, our value is in what you produce and in how you perform. But that is not what we have in our passage this morning. That is not the gospel for us. Rather, what we see in this passage, what you and I have pictured for us, is that you and I were dead branches, Destined for the fire, but God, the divine vine dresser, picked us up off the ground and he grafted us into the vine that is his son. And so, that everything that we are commanded to do in this passage is preceded by an action of God in us and for us. Look at it, verse 4 Abide in me just as I abide. With you, Our abiding in Christ is only possible for us because he has first made his home in us. Our bearing fruit in verse 5, our prayers that we are to offer in verse 7, our obedience in verse 10, our love and joy in verse 11, and the rest of the chapter. What is it that enables us to do that? It is because he has loved us. It is because he abides with us, because he has kept us. His Father's commandments, we are now empowered and we are enabled to bear fruit, to pray, to love, and obey. Our actions are a reaction of what has been done for us and in us in the gospel. But how is it that we are to abide in Him? A lot that we could say on this. What is it that it looks like for us to abide in Christ? I would say briefly the ordinary means that he has appointed for us to know him and to experience him. Those ordinary means of grace are how we abide in him. The word, the sacraments, and prayer. But as we abide in Christ, as we remain in him, as we make our home in him, what are those things that we could expect What happen? And that's what I want to cover in the last two points, the second and the third point. What can we expect? As we abide in him, the first thing that we can expect is that we would bear fruit. You know, what is the goal of a grapevine? To bear fruit, bear grapes. That's its purpose and its end. It was created to bear fruit, and Jesus says that we are to abide in him, and we will bear fruit. You know, as you think about bearing fruit, what as a Christian, what is it that comes to mind in your life? For some of us, it might think, well, we're talking about uh, evangelism, that to bear fruit is to multiply uh, to see other branches grafted into the vine of Christ. But I don't think that's primarily what is in view in this passage. You might also think of uh, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. If you remember the song, you know that the fruit of the Spirit is not a coconut, right? But it is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But when you look at The fruit of the Spirit, what is chief among those is love. And if if you look in the context of John 15 and later on, I think that the fruit that Jesus speaks of in this passage is love that is expressed in obedience to him and to others. But how is it that we can expect to bear fruit in our lives? What enables us to bear that fruit? Uh, Let's go back to the branches and vine illustration and see if we can draw something out of that. Uh, how do grapes grow on branches? The nutrients, the water, the sustenance, all the stuff that they need to bear fruit is taken up by the roots, taken up out of the ground, through the roots, through the vine, and then it is sent into the branches. The branch is given everything that it needs to be fruitful. Nothing is spared from this branch becoming fruitful. You know, have you ever walked by a vine or a tree, a fruit tree? Take an apple tree, ever walked by an apple tree and you've seen the branches of that apple tree just straining with all of its might to make fruit? That's not what happens. That's not the way that it works. The branch abides in the trunk of the tree. The action is not the branch looking out to the fruit. The action is the branch abiding in the vine, abiding in the tree. That is how the branch bears fruit. Think about it this way. Picture two vines, two branches. One branch is the most glorious branch you could ever imagine if you were in a mood to imagine glorious branches. Just think, it was beautiful. It bore clusters and clusters of grapes. It was uh, as fruitful as it could possibly be. And on the other hand, you have the weakest, tiniest, puniest, scraggliest branch possible. You have a glorious branch and a puny branch. What is going to determine whether those branches will bear fruit. Is it the greatness of the branch or is it the attachment that it has to the vine? Will that strong, glorious branch bear any fruit if it is cut off from the vine and on the ground? It is good only for the fire. But a weak branch connected to the vine, is infinitely better than a strong branch that is detached from the vine. Your strength, your ability in yourself to bear fruit, it doesn't... Your ability and strength to bear fruit does not come from how great and strong and able you think you are to bear fruit. It comes from being attached to the vine of Jesus. Your ability to love your neighbor comes from the fact that you know that you've been loved. Your ability to forgive comes from knowing that you've been forgiven. Your ability to welcome those who are different from you comes from knowing that Jesus has welcomed you and you are much different from Him. The power we need to bear fruit comes from the vine. But we might expect that this fruit-bearing process that we think about is uh, always plentiful, always fruitful onward and upward experience that life is getting a little better all the time but this passage reminds us that that's not how fruit grows uh, that there is a pruning process that is to take place so not only the first thing we can expect to bear fruit but the second thing we can expect as we abide in the vine is that pruning will take place and we see that in verse two and uh Verse 2 was really troubling to me this week as I thought about uh, preaching this text. Uh, The first part of it, or Jesus says in verse 2, "...every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit." What do you do with the first part of that verse? Uh, What do you do um, with him saying that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away? Uh, Can someone who is in Jesus, who is in Christ, who is attached to the vine, can they be taken away? Can they be cut off for lack of fruit? That seems to go against what we read in John 10. Jesus, the good shepherd, says that no one's going to snatch the sheep away from his hand. In chapter 6, he says, it is the will of my Father that I will lose none in the last day. What does it mean that branches that are in Christ are taken away? What do you do with that? I found that a lot of commentaries and a lot of people don't do much with it at all, kind of skip over it. Uh, But how do you reconcile these passages? As we come to the Bible, we come with the assumption that the Bible is true and trustworthy, that it sits above us, that it doesn't sit beneath us, that we, uh, we rely on it. The Bible interprets the Bible. So what do we do with this passage here? There's there's a way that you can interpret this that cancels out everything that I've said in a previous point. You can hear this, and you can leave this morning uh, with a commitment to bearing more fruit so that you can prove that you are a disciple of Jesus. Bearing fruit is a good thing. Bearing fruit is an essential thing in the life of a Christian. I want you to hear that. But the fruit does not give life to the branch. The vine gives life to the branch. I don't want you to leave this morning looking at your fruit and not looking at Jesus, the vine. The power you need to bear fruit is not found in your abiding in your fruit, but rather by abiding in the vine that is Christ. And so here's my best shot at how to interpret this passage. Remember the context here. Jesus is seeking to comfort disciples who are troubled. Uh, that's what he, in this whole section uh, of the gospel of John, remember he's about to go to the cross and he's comforting these troubled disciples. And he's wanting to leave them with the fact that he's, he wants to assure them that uh, the gospel is true, uh, that, that he wants to not leave them destitute, but that he's with them. And so with any metaphor, with any parable, there is a point to be made, but if you press it at every point, you actually lose the point that's trying to be made. And so in this case, I think maybe the assumed understanding as we read this text is that one branch equals one person. Uh, That a branch that is removed or taken away is uh, a person who at one time was attached to Jesus and then is removed uh, because of a lack of fruit. But I don't think the text necessitates... That equation, that one branch equals the totality of one person. Rather, that Jesus is saying that as our lives are attached to the vine of God, God removes those aspects in our lives that are unfruitful. That a part of living as a Christian means that God is removing aspects of your life that do not bear fruit. And I think verse 3 helps us in this interpretation. When Jesus says that already you are clean because you are my disciples. That word clean in verse 2 is closely related to the word prune. Uh, Clean in verse 3 is closely related to the uh, verse prune in verse 2. Jesus is saying, because you have heard my word, because you, you have received me in your life, that you've been pruned, that you have been cut back. And so there is a cleaning or there is a pruning that goes for all who trust in Jesus. There is a cutting away of the old man, cutting away of the old flesh, a dying to the old self. And so what Jesus is saying to these worried and troubled disciples, what he's saying to them and to us is that there is trouble that is coming. That there are things in your life that you will lose if you follow him. There are things in life that will be cut back because you follow him. But he promises that he will be with us through all of it. Jesus says that there's a pruning that's going to take place. Have you ever seen a vineyard after it has been pruned? You have these beautiful leaves. You have these clusters of grapes. And they're all over the ground. And all that's left is a lifeless stump coming out of the ground. And you would drive by that vineyard after it's been pruned and you would say, That gardener has lost his mind. What a waste of resources. He cut down those perfectly good vines. Those perfectly good branches. Everything that seemed alive is now on the ground. And all that's left seems really worthless. But why did he prune the vines? Why is it cut back? That it might bear more fruit. Pruning is for the good of the branch. The job of the gardener is to produce good grapes, and pruning is the way that that happens. It it is a painful, it is a seemingly pointless and backwards process. But for some of you, you look at your life right now, and it looks like a vineyard that's just been pruned. There are branches that are scattered all over the ground, and you look around and you think, what a waste. You wonder what God, the divine gardener, is doing in your life, and you experience pain and loss all the way. You look, and it it might be something like a crushed dream, a broken relationship, a financial reversal, or a wayward child. What the picture you had of your life is no longer an option. And you wonder, God, what are you up to? God, what are you doing? The pruning knife of God has gone deep. And the hope of new growth seems like an eternity away. And what I hope you hear in this passage is that it does not diminish the pain that you are experiencing. That's real. Uh, that it's really a loss. Uh, that what you're going through is significant, uh, and what you're going through does feel like death. It, it does not invalidate what you're going through. But I hope what this passage does do is give slight perspective. From your perspective of the branch, you look at the gardener and you ask God, what On earth, are you doing? What Jesus says to you in this passage is not a quick fix. It doesn't answer every question, and it certainly doesn't take away the pain that you feel. But what we see in this passage is that to abide in Jesus is to experience pain. To abide in Jesus is to go through hardship in this life. Sometimes it feels like having your life trimmed back to a nub, to be laid bare and seemingly lifeless. The disciples needed to hear this from Jesus because trouble was coming their way just as it comes our way. So how do you make sense of this? What do you do with a gardening God? To our question, God, what are you doing? God, why this pruning? To answer our question, he points us to his cross. The Lord's deepest And the Lord's most painful pruning was his son on the cross. That was ultimate pruning. And there followed three days of desolation. The disciples were wondering, God, what are you doing? This seems like nonsense. This seems backwards. We had a good thing going. Why did he have to go to the cross? But on the other side of a pruning cross was a fruitful harvest of resurrection. From death came life. From sorrow came eternal joy. The cross assures us that this life will be painful. As one person put it, that is why the symbol of the Christian faith is a cross and not the magic kingdom. That life will be a mess. It can and it will be tragic, but the cross gives us the means to know that God is not absent in suffering, And that God is at work in the midst of our pruning. The cross assures us that our pain and brokenness is not a sign that God is absent. But rather that he is working his redemptive process and purposes in our life. And so as we come to the table uh, this morning, we have another reminder that God's not left us. uh, That he is the true vine. And that as the true vine, he provides all that is needed for the branches, that we might bear fruit for the glory of his name. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would take this word, uh, that you would use it to uh, comfort those who are hurting. Lord, that we might abide in you, that we might find life in you, and not seek to find it in ourselves. Lord, we thank you that uh, all that we have is yours. Um, We are branches getting from you, the vine, everything that we have. And so, Lord, we want to be generous people. We want to give back what uh, you have given to us in all areas of life. And so, we pray that uh, as we uh, give back to you, that, Lord, you would use the ministry of this church, the resources that we have uh, to bring glory to your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.